But I, I want to get into God's word because there's something that God has been laying on my heart. And I, I, Rob's sermon last week, last Sunday, was so amazing. Uh, because one of the things that, that blessed me out of that message was he was talking about the difference between a storm of correction, a correctional storm that we get in, and an instructional storm. And how the disciples weren't in sin when they got in the boat. In fact, they were right where Jesus wanted them to be, right? They were right in the middle of God's will, but guess where they were? They were in a storm. And, and, and so tonight is, is just going to kind of expand on that from a book in the Bible named Hosea. I don't know. You're going to need your table of contents to find that. But I spent the whole summer uh, going through the book of Hosea. If you need a Bible, they've got them. And, and I think you're going to want to have some note paper to take notes because we're going to be giving you uh, quite a few scriptures. So if you don't have some paper, uh, the guys are passing them out for you. But I want to help you understand something about suffering. And before I do that, I, I, my, my goal very simply is when times get difficult, I want to encourage you to turn to the Lord, not simply to plead with Him to get you out of the tough times, but to hear what He has to say to you in the tough times. Why do we suffer? Sometimes we suffer because we're on the right path. And that's kind of the storm of instruction that Rob was talking about. There are times that... God brings us through storms because we are bearing fruit, we are moving forward in our spiritual life, and he wants, us to help, he wants to help us bear even more fruit. John 15 says that every branch that bears fruit, the Father, who is the gardener, prunes it. In other words, he cuts us back so that we may bear more fruit. There are other times when we go through suffering in order that God may be glorified. Do you remember the man who was born blind and the disciples asked, Hey, Jesus, who sinned, this guy or his parents, that he should be born blind? And he said, Neither. This man was born blind for the glory of God. But folks, there's something else I want you to understand. There are times in our lives when we suffer because we've been wandering away from God and God wants us back. And the bottom line, I just want to give you where we're going tonight. The bottom line is when we're suffering, I I want to encourage you to slow down and listen to God. I don't want you to beat yourself up and say, oh, what am I doing wrong? I just want you to ask God, God, is there something in my life that has been getting between me and you that you want to bring up? And if there is, we're going to talk about what to do about that. Maybe there's nothing. And if not, then it's time really not simply to ask God to get you out of the storm, but for God to give you the grace to get through the storm. Because, folks, one of the things I've learned about suffering is that more often than not, God's way is not out of the storm. It's through the storm. And I know that's not fun. We like uh, instant spray relief. You know, we like, to, we like to get out of our problems really quickly. But often God doesn't really want that because he has something better in mind for us. 
So let me just walk you through a couple of things by way of introduction. Number one, God really wants to walk with you on a day-by-day basis. How do I know that? Genesis 1.26, we were created in God's image, right? God created man in his image. Male and female, he created them. So we were created by God. We're the only creatures in the universe that the Bible says were created in the image of God. Genesis 2.7, the, the picture of God molding us from the dust of the ground and then leaning over and breathing into our nostrils the breath of life tells me that God desired to have a relationship of intimacy and love with you. Genesis 2, 18 through 25 tells us that God created us like himself and that God lives in community. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So God, the three in one, this amazing God has lived in community and in perfect unity for all eternity. And his desire is for us to have that same experience. So in Genesis 2.18, guess what the first thing God said was not good. It is not good for the man to be alone. So we were not created to walk through life separated from God or separated from each other. Genesis 3 tells us the story of what happened in our sin. Satan came to man and woman, and he tempted them with this temptation. Look, if you will step out from under God's authority, you can become your own God. You will be like God. Adam and Eve fell for that lie, and there were two amazing instant ramifications of their sin. Number one, their relationship with God became a relationship of fear. Do you remember it says that God was walking in the garden And they were afraid, and so they hid themselves from God. So the very first event that came as a result of our sin was we became afraid of God. Rather than a relationship of love and intimacy, now it was a relationship of cowering and fear. The second, the second immediate reaction to their sin was shame. They saw their nakedness, and so they hid themselves. And you guys, as you look at us through history, people have been hiding themselves from each other. How are you doing? Fine. So we have emotional fig leaves that we put up. We hide from each other. Why? Because we think if somebody saw the real me inside, they would completely reject me. So we pretend we hide from each other. That came from our sin. But now I want you to see something really cool. Even though we blew it, and even though we rejected God, God's desire for us remained the same. Look at Leviticus 26, 12. God says, I will also walk among you and be your God, and you shall be my people. That was God's purpose in giving the law. I want to walk with you. I want to be your God. Now, I want you to see something really cool. Your and my are called possessive pronouns, right? If something is yours, that means it it belongs to you. Now, I want you to realize what this is saying. God wants 
to belong to you. He wants to be your God. And he wants you to belong to him. He wants you to be his people. You know, there's a reason I don't date anymore. Uh, other women. I date my wife. But I, you know, so, you know, if I met a cute girl at Starbucks, I, I wouldn't ask her out on a date. Why? Because I belong to my wife. I am her wife, or I am her husband, and she is my wife. And God is my God. He says this again in Jeremiah. He says, I will give them a heart to know me, for I am the Lord. And they will be my people, and I will be their God for they will return to me with their whole heart. That is a prophecy of what's going to happen when the, the millennial kingdom comes and the Israelites return to God. We go all the way to the end of the Bible, Gen- Revelation 21.3. Here it is again. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. Behold, uh, he will dwell with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them as their God. Guys, today, I want to share something very simple. When you wake up tomorrow, God wants to walk with you throughout your day. He wants you to walk with him. Do you know Enoch made the hall of faith, Hebrews 11? You know the only thing he's known for in the whole Bible? He walked with God. He walked with God. That's Enoch's sole claim to fame is that he walked with God. And God said, this is so much fun walking with you, Enoch. I'm going to take you home. So God, Enoch never died. God just brought him to heaven immediately because he wanted, he loved that relationship that they were having. Now, we go to Hosea. Because... Hosea lived in a strange time, very similar to what we're living in. It was a very prosperous time, although I'm not sure the U.S. is all that prosperous anymore. But, you know, still, there's a lot of things going on. But the second thing is Israel was incredibly deep in its sin, and we're going to find out how deep in sin they were. And third, uh, if you look at the dates, you'll realize... Israel was just about to be wiped out of existence. This is the northern kingdom of Israel. That's who Hosea ministered to. God did something with with Hosea that was, in a way, well, let's just put it this way. I'm glad I wasn't Hosea. Because God asked Hosea to marry a prostitute that he knew would cheat on Hosea. And the reason God wanted to do that, God did that, is he wanted Hosea to be an object lesson to Israel. To help Israel understand how much her sin is wounding the heart of God. You know, I've heard people say, I know what I'm thinking about is wrong, but you know what? I can always ask forgiveness. And the tragedy of that is we stop thinking of God as a person We stop thinking of a God as a being who possesses emotions. And God wanted Israel to understand, hey, 
I feel like a jilted lover. And the sadness and the anger that comes with that, I want you to understand how deeply I'm feeling that. So I want you to go to uh, Hosea chapter 4. Hosea chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. Because we want to look at a little bit of what the problem that was going on in Israel. I'm going to read from the New Living because it really helps it to pop out to us. So Hosea chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. Hear the word of the Lord, O people of Israel. The Lord has brought charges against you, saying, There is no faithfulness, no kindness, no knowledge of God in your land. You make vows and break them. You kill and steal and commit adultery. There's violence everywhere, one murder after another. That is why your land is in mourning and everyone is wasting away. Even the wild animals, the birds of the sky, and the fish of the sea are disappearing. Now, the key phrase of that whole passage is that there is no knowledge of God. Now, the Jews might say, hey, we're Jews. We know God. But the word knowledge in the Hebrew is a word of deep intimacy. In fact, in, in Genesis, when it says, and Adam knew his wife and she conceived. Knowing is not, hi, I'm Adam. Hi, I'm Eve. Nice to meet you. No, it's, it's speaking of sexual intimacy. And so when God says there is no knowledge of God, he's saying, you guys are not knowing me in an intimate way. We're not walking together. That's the fundamental problem. What are some of the results of this problem? Number one, there is no faithfulness. Faithfulness is simply the quality of honoring your word and your commitments. And when you think about this, if you take God out of the picture, why should I be a person of my word? I mean, it's much more convenient to lie and try to get out of commitments that I've made if they aren't working out. See, without God, our moral compass loses all of its power. There's no kindness. By the way, do you see that in our society? That the idea that faithfulness is just fading away and even basic human kindness. It's just It's just disappearing. He goes on to say, you make vows and you break them. It's interesting. There is environmental disaster. Have any of you thought why California is in a drought? Do you think it could possibly be because we're under the judgment of God right now? I have to tell you, I, I, I believe with all my heart that this drought is a spiritual judgment from God. And that we as Christians probably are going to need to lead the way to repentance if this drought is going to be broken. It's not a physical, simple geological occurrence. This is something that's coming from the hand of God. He goes on to say that people's lives are, are falling apart. Let, jump down to verse 10 of Hosea chapter 4. 
And again, I'm reading from the New Living. He says, they will eat and still be hungry. They will play the prostitute and gain nothing from it, for they have deserted the Lord. I want you to think about what God is saying. They will eat and still be hungry. In other words, our attempts to bring satisfaction and fullness to our lives, nothing's going to come of it. And man, I see this in our world so clearly. People are are pursuing every crazy means of entertainment and satisfaction and pleasure that they can. and, And the more they pursue it, the emptier and the emptier they get. Life is falling apart. Not only that, but people have become utterly foolish. Verse 12, they ask a piece of wood for advice. They think a stick can tell them the future. Longing after idols has made them foolish. They have played the prostitute, serving other gods and deserving and deserting their God. This is what Israel was experiencing back in that time, and they were just on the precipice of facing the judgment of God. And you guys, I don't know where we are in prophetic history. But I do know that it seems like the United States is doing everything they possibly can to say to God, come and judge us. We dare you. We are, we are making some big mistakes in this country. And I think we're getting ready to pay a price. And in all of that, with all that Israel had done, I mean, they were, they were worshiping Baal, which was the, and it, it started all the way back with the golden calf, and it continued through the whole history of Israel. By the time this was going on, Baal had turned into a, a, uh, a bowl that had two arms extended. And what they would do is they would heat these arms until they were red hot, and then they would put their infant children on them. And they would uh, leave them there until they burned to death. This is what they talk about, causing children to pass through the fire. So when you read that expression, that's what it's talking about, is they were doing that in order to gain the blessing of Baal for fertility in their crops and prosperity for their lands. They, were, they had set up their worship times in the, in the hills so that literally they had temple prostitutes that both men and women would go and they would commit sexual immorality in the name of, of worshiping Baal. This is what Israel, the people of God, not the surrounding nations, the people of God had sunk to this. Not only had they sunk to that level, but there was injustice. Guess, guess what the economics of that times were? The rich were getting richer and the poor were getting poorer. Sound familiar? What was happening is the kings and the princes and all of the people of power would extort money from the poor. They would take their lands and they would take their their money and they would use it for themselves and leave them with no recourse. So injustice was taking root. Now, what's important to note is that all the other countries around Israel was doing the same kind of thing. But God does not necessarily judge them. He judges the people of Israel. Why? 
because they are his people. And there's something I want you to understand in Scripture. There's a principle from 1 Peter 4 that says that judgment begins with the household of God. In other words, non-Christians can get away with things that you and I can't. Because God loves us too much. And if non-Christians are, are doing crazy, immoral things, they will face their judgment at the great white throne. You and I will not face judgment at the great white throne because Jesus has taken that judgment from us. But God will discipline us. And that discipline sometimes will be very, very painful. There are people, in fact, Brett and I were talking about people today who have lost everything because they refuse to listen to God. And finally, when they get utterly and completely broken, they go, oh, maybe I need to turn my life back to the Lord. And they do, and they come back to God, and they begin to gain blessing again, but they have lost so much because they refuse to listen for so long. So here's what I want you to understand, and this is, this is where we go to the amazing solution, and I want you to turn over to Hebrew, or Hosea chapter 14, because this is where... And I have six, but it's actually 14. Uh, Listen to what Hosea writes. After all that Israel has done, and God says all through Hosea there are pronouncements of judgment, terrible, horrible judgment. But then as Hosea closes the book, he says, Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God, for your sins have brought you down. You guys, if if you're in this category, if you find your life falling apart and as as you evaluate, you say, this is not the discipline of pruning. This is not instructional suffering. This is God calling me back to himself. This is a correctional situation. It's time to realize that it's your sins that have brought you down. And I want to give you a real practical application of this. When I was first married, uh, my marriage was actually very convenient because every time something went wrong, it was Connie's fault. And my prayers were very simple. God fixed Connie. And that was great, except that nothing ever happened in our marriage. My marriage never improved. God never answered that prayer. He would never fix Connie for me. And about, it was about six or seven years into our marriage. We had a pretty tough ride for the first few years. And when I learned this principle, that when things are going wrong in your life, the first place to look is your relationship with God. Before, before you do anything else, before you blame anybody else, before you blame your boss or your wife or your circumstances or your pastor or your church or anybody, before you blame anything else, take a look inside. And, and I discovered something crazy. That whenever I was unhappy with my marriage, 95% of the time, I wasn't walking with the Lord either. My relationship with God had just slipped away and I wasn't pursuing him with the passion that I did when, when I actually loved life. 
And so before talking to Connie about our marriage, I started working on my relationship. And rather than God fix Connie, it was God help me to get back into intimacy with you. And the amazing thing is, is when I started walking with the Lord again, Connie became a better wife. It was miraculous. <laughs> you kind of know that's not the case. You, you kind of realize what happened is as I got back in my relationship with God, I became a better husband and, and Connie was actually doing great all along. And so our relationship improved. Some of you may say, oh, this is very negative. I don't like looking at my sin. But you guys, it's actually the most positive thing on the face of the earth. Because when you realize your sins have brought you down, guess what you can do? You can quit sinning, return to the Lord, and you will find your life moving back in the right direction. So Hosea says, return to the... Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God, for your sins have brought you down. Bring your confessions... And return to the Lord. Say to him, forgive us our sins and graciously receive us so that we may offer you our praises. Assyria cannot save us, nor can the war horses. Never again will we say to the idols we have made, you are our God. No, in you alone do the orphans find mercy. Now, here's the things I want you to understand. Number one. Return to God. How do you return to God? It is so simple, it's unbelievable. You return to God. How, do, how does the prodigal son return to his father? He gets up and he starts walking and he returns to his father. How do I return to God? I go to the place where I can meet God. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16 calls it the throne of, do you know what it, the throne of grace? You know that, right? The throne of grace. Satan loves to pull a number on us. He loves to put this message in our head. Oh, you have really blown it. God's mad at you. He didn't want to see you now. Stay away from him. You guys, that is a lie that is burning with the fires of hell. It is just straight from Satan's mouth. If you have committed the worst, most vile sin that you could ever imagine, you know what you need to do? Run to the throne of grace. If you have disappointed God beyond anything you could ever imagine, run to the throne of grace. Because it's at the throne of grace that you receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So you return to the Lord. I am a big fan of confessing your sins because the Bible says we ought to do that. Amen. Confessing your sins means to agree with God about your sin. That's the, in 1 John 1, 9, when it says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us. The word confess in the Greek language is homo legeo. It means to say the same thing. And so confessing is agreeing with God about your sin. So, what does it mean to agree with God? Number one, you stop making excuses. God, I'm sorry I blew up at my wife, but she really pushes my buttons. Okay, that's not confession. That's Adam excuse making. 
Hey, Adam, why did you sin? Well, that woman you gave me. So confession means you accept complete and full responsibility for your sin. This is why this is so important. In every situation you will ever face, God will give you the grace to overcome it and live godly in that situation, right? When you make excuses, you're denying that God gave you the grace to live godly in that situation. So, if I uh, erupt in anger against Connie, I come to God first, even before I go to Connie. And I say, God, you gave me the grace to be godly and gentle in that situation. And I turned away from your grace. And so I seek your forgiveness. And I desire for your grace to be sufficient in every situation. So to confess your sins is to get sanity back in your life. It's to get a sense of reality back in your life. And so Hosea says, let's agree with God about our sins. Let's bring your confessions to the Lord. The third thing that is very important. In their confession, they say Assyria cannot save us. The reason that's important is before Assyria came and wiped them out, Israel was going to Assyria for help. How's that for brilliance? I know, these guys are brutal, they're bloodthirsty, they're conquering the world. Let's go to them and try to make a contract with them. Let's go to them and try to make a covenant with them. And they went to them, and they got wiped out. You guys, for every provision of God, the world wants to give you an alternate. Are you short on money? Oh, they'll give you credit. Ah, that's good. You don't need to come to God. They'll give you credit. You have a need for healing. You don't need to go to God. You go to doctors. Now, I'm not saying it's wrong to go to doctors, but I am saying that one of the reasons everybody else in this world sees healings greater than the United States sees them. I mean, healings in China are fairly common. Miraculous healings where cancerous tumors are instantaneously removed. And uh, people who could not walk are healed. And people who in prison have every bone in their legs broken are instantly healed and they walk out of prisons. Things are happening. Why? Because people are going to God first. Whereas we go to doctors... We go to 19 specialists, and then when they can't figure it out, oh, let's pray. What I'm suggesting is pray first. Pray first. Give God a shot to make a difference in your situation. So stop trusting in this world. Stop letting other things be your love. Stop letting other things be those things that you're depending on. Stop looking to Oprah or to Dr. Phil or to whoever it is you're going to. For your, I mean, it's amazing. 
Psalm 1 says, blessed is the one who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. And yet we're running to the counsel of the ungodly. And then we're wondering, why aren't we the blessed people? And then the last thing is, let God bring your healing. Verse 4 is so cool. God says, then I will heal you of your faithlessness. My love will know no bounds, for my anger will be gone forever. You guys, Israel had done everything it could to spit in the face of God. And God says, return to, you, return to me, and I will forgive. I will restore. This is the kind of God we have. Now, I want to make this real simple because I, I just want to give you some guidelines of what do you do if you see that it's time to, to get your life back in connection with God. There are two things that are needed. Number one is you need a decision, and that's the decision to return to God. The second thing you need is a rearrangement of your schedule. Um, I don't know how your walk with God is right now. Um, I hear and I've heard from a lot of people, you know, I'd love to spend time in God's word, but I'm just too busy. I'd love to, to take time to pray where in a way where I cut out the world and I just seek the Lord, but I just don't have time. People of God, what you do with your time is a matter of choice. I was talking to Brett today and I, I gave him a little uh, uh, idea that I've been giving people where if you make a square 7 a.m. to 10 p.m., every day of the week. So you've got seven columns and however many hours. And just start keeping a journal of what you do with your time. I think a couple of things may come out to you that are astounding. How much time you are spending letting the world tell you what's important. If we added up the amount of time we spend on the internet, watching television, going to movies, listening to radio... Do you, do you realize what you're doing at that point? You're, you're, you're sitting before the world and you're saying, teach me. Tell me what's important. I am your student. That's what you're doing. And we wonder, why do we have such a hard time walking with faith? It's because we're spending all our time embracing the world's message. So I want to encourage you. Don't keep doing the same thing and expect a different result. At some point, you need to change what's coming into your life. God's command to us is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And one of the things that's cool, your relationship is not just with Jesus or God the Father or God the Holy Spirit. It's with all three and I want you to write these down because in, a, in our relationship with the Holy Spirit, the relationship is to walk by the Spirit, right? And to be filled with the Spirit. So think of the intimacy that's going on in those two passages where the Spirit wants to be in control of our lives. He wants us to be walking with Him every moment of the day. That's the cultivation that God wants us to do in relationship to the Holy Spirit. How about the relationship with Jesus? Do you remember John 15? 
abide in me, live in me, stay connected with you, with me, and let me flow in and through you. Jesus said, if you abide with me and I in you, you will bear fruit. You can't help it. How about your relationship with the Father? Ephesians 3, 14 through 21 is a prayer of Paul that we would experience God's love in a way that would be so powerful. He says that we would be filled up to all the fullness of God. So, it's not God the Father who's saying, well, you can have a relationship with my son, but I don't want to get too close to you. Or you can, you can have the Holy Spirit in you, but don't, I don't want to be that close. No, God the Father wants to be in you. God the Son wants to be in you. God the Holy Spirit wants to be. All three are seeking a relationship of intimacy with you. This is amazing stuff. If you, if you spent time this summer just going through these passages that speak how the triune, triune God wants to be in an intimate relationship with you, it would blow your mind, and I think your relationship with God would be transformed forever. It's just, it's incredible. God wants to be involved with every part of your life. So let me give you some suggestions. These are earth-shaking. I'm sure you've never heard them before. Number one, if you don't have a journal, buy one. I am a huge believer in journaling. And I, I think I've shared with you before, I have journaled ever since I was in the ninth grade. 1964, so you can do your math, figure out how old I 1964 is when I started journaling. And I still have my prayer list and my journal from 1964. In fact, my, my journals now fill up two four-drawer file cabinets. And it's a history of my walk with God. I have all of my prayer requests, because I'm also a great believer in writing down my prayer requests. What is it that I'm asking of God? I write them down, and then I divide the sheet in half, and on the other half, I write down when God answers the prayer and how he answered the prayer. So it's fun reading my journal from the ninth grade. Oh, God, you are so awesome! You know, it's like, and I'm writing in huge letters when God answers prayer. It's fun to see that throughout my life, God has been incredibly faithful. If you've never journaled, it's very simple. Uh, The easiest way to start journaling is maybe once or twice a week, write a letter to God. And just, it's almost as if you're bringing the Lord up to speed on what's going on in your life. Now, he knows what's going on in your life. But, but what you're doing is you're clarifying for yourself what's happening in your walk with God. The other part of journaling, uh, as, I, as I mentioned, I am a huge believer in writing down your prayer request. What is it that's on your heart that's causing you anxiety? What is it that's burdening your soul? What is it that's, that's just crushing your spirit? Write down what it is you want God to do. I take that from the life of Jesus. I loved when he comes to the blind man. You know, Lord Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on us. 
Jesus comes to him and says, hey, what do you want me to do for you? Duh. Can't see. You know, in some ways, it seems like a dumb question, doesn't it? The guy's blind. Jesus is here, son of God, what do you want me to do for you? But he wanted that person to verbalize, to, to come with his need to God. To learn to be very bold in letting God know exactly what you want him to do. Now, there are some times when God will say no. When I was 17, I was praying, oh, God, let this girl go out with me. <laughs> and then I remember in, when I was 18, a year later, writing in my journal, thank you for not letting her go out with me. You know, So there, there are times when God will say no. But even in those times when God says no, you learn his ways are better than your, your ways. He is smarter than you. I know that's a revelation to some of you, but God is actually smarter than you. A journal can be as simple as a little spiral-bound notebook. I'll tell you what I do. I start writing my journal from front to back, and then I start writing my prayer request from back to front. And then when they meet in the middle, it's time for a new journal. So it's, you don't have to be brilliant with this. It's just very simple. In fact, the simpler, the better. But I would encourage you to maybe journal once or twice a week if you've never done it before and just start writing out what's going on in your walk with God and in your life. Because if you start writing those two things down, what's going on in my walk with God, what's going on in my life, you're going to see something really amazing. There's actually a connection between the two. That as your walk with God goes, so goes your life. Not that circumstances will always be easy. But I've got to tell you guys, I have been through some deep storms over the last few years in my life. And I actually, it was amazing. Somehow, I remembered to stay with God through the storms. And he gave me such incredible strength and peace right in the middle of the darkest days of those storms. It was like miraculous. So we don't have to freak out when we go through storms. We can actually stay with God in the middle of storms. And they can actually be a blessing. So, make a decision on when you're going to seek God. If you're a morning person, do it in the morning. If you're a night owl, don't try to seek God in the morning. You know, I mean, just unless you have waterproof pages and you can do it in the shower, but we're in a drought and so you can't do that anyway. So, you know, just find a time when you're at your best and give the best time of your day to God. Write it down. I actually make appointments with God. It's really nice having a a little smartphone because I can put down in my smartphone when I'm going to meet with God. you don't know where to start, those scriptures that I talked about would be a wonderful place to start. And then write down when you're in God's word, what is God saying to you? That's simple because if you, if you actually study his word with the anticipation of listening to him, you'll hear from him. One other thing just on this, I know We love reading books about the Bible. But I want to encourage you to stop reading books about the Bible for a while 
and start reading the Bible. That's where the power is. That's where the power is. I know a lot of guys have written a lot of books, and it's great. And I read books, and I yeah, that's nice. I like them. You know, good books. But something happens when I feed in God's, on God's word that doesn't happen at any other time. Okay? Uh, one final thing, and then we'll just take some questions. Uh, if you don't know how to shape your prayer request, I want to give you the simple suggestion. Three questions. Number one, what do you want God to do for you? Do you know that God wants to show himself strong on your behalf? He actually wants to act on your behalf. So what is it that you want God to do for you? And write those things down. Second question. What do you want God to do in you? See, this talks about your transformation. So start praying about the things in your life that have been driving you crazy. Do you have things in your life that drive you crazy, or am I the only one? I, I, okay, good. Thank you. I, there are things in my life that drive me crazy. I, I lack self-control. I lack the ability to say no to myself so that I can say yes to God. But when I pray about that, and when I say, God... I really want your grace to help me to learn how to say no to myself so I can say yes to you. Guess what? He answers that prayer. And then when I forget to pray about that, guess what happens? I start failing in self-control all over again. So you never... This is a great little piece of wisdom. You don't win battles and then you move on to something else. You win battles and then they come up again and you have to refight them. Have you found that to be true? Yeah. You know, it's, it's, I wish that I could just win a battle. Okay, that's over. I never have to face that again. Okay, now I'm on to something nice and new and exciting. That isn't the way life works. All of us have certain sins that trip us up. The same sins. And Christian growth is not overcoming those sins forever. It's gaining consistency on overcoming those sins. Third thing, what do you want God to do through you? How do you want God to use you in other people's lives? And this is where I am praying that every one of you already knows the name of the person that God wants to bring to himself through you. Because I want to tell you something. I believe that God has already put those people in your life. They're already there. Remember when Jesus said, lift up your eyes, the fields are wide unto harvest? Your fields already contain the people that God wants to draw to himself through you. And so once you've identified those people, start praying, God, help me to live the gospel in front of this person. Help me to speak the gospel in front of this person. Help me to glorify you in front of this person. Help me to be Jesus to this person. However you want to phrase that prayer, start praying passionately as to what you want God to do through you. So those three ideas can can really add some fun uh, to your prayer list.